This is the subversive. Did you like that intro? That was the best one yet. A little smack in the mouth. <laughs> a little punch in the face. I felt it. Come on. Episode oh. <laughs> number 11, titled Death in the House of Certainty. Here we go. I just texted that to my wife. She's like, ooh, I like it. That's good. <laughs> you don't even know what it's about. <laughs> you better back off. I don't even know how many shows she's listened to. So there's that. Um, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed. I don't know if enjoyed is the right word about uh, last week's. Hopefully, maybe you did enjoy it. Maybe it disturbed you. Maybe made you comfortably uncomfortable. Does that, Does that make sense? Possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope you were challenged. Yeah. Ooh, Jacob's challenged. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. So here's the, the, the cool thing about podcasts is you do what you want. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> you do what you want. Is that not all of life? Oh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I play by a certain set of rules. Yeah, I, I do. I do. Yeah, too. I feel constrained half the time. So I wanted to continue a conversation that we were having uh, last week, and I, I gave out some show notes and everything like that. Ooh, but first, first, someone asked me how my day was going, and I texted them a picture, and mm -hmm. I said, best day ever. Wow. With a gift from Tangled, where she's swinging around the tree. No, but I do love that movie. That's good. Uh, here's why. Because Kyle and I met for coffee this morning. Sorry, Jacob. Although I think Jacob and I have met for beverages before without Kyle. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe Kyle and I have met for beverages without you, Chad. Probably so. yeah. a lot. Sorry. <laughs> Daggone it. <laughs> so, but we met and Kyle pulls out of his canvas backpack hmm. the first proof copy, if you will, of the Subversive magazine. Mm -hmm. And I know we mentioned it way back yeah. in episode one or two. And, uh, it is coming to fruition and we are, we're almost at the finish line. And so I just got to tell you, friends, it's incredible. It's beautiful. It's clean. It's crisp. The content is a legit. It's what? It's delicious. It is delicious. <laughs> it's yum. <laughs> I, I need to ask you, how do, how do you think your magazine smells? Hmm. I don't even, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> okay. Well, some people like, you know, the smell of books. Okay. So I just didn't know if you appreciated the Here's the thing. Aroma. It's not even on the final paper type that we're going to be on. Yeah, we'll so this is gloss that. and we're, you know, okay. we're not telling you what it's going to be mm -hmm. on. But so soon information coming your way on when and where you might be able to pick that up. And I'm not going to lie to you, friends. It's, it's brilliant. So um, you're going to want it. Okay. Let's get rolling. Last week, we talked about the critics of Jesus and what they said about him and as I thought more about this, this is often what happens for me anyways. You present on something, and then after you present on the thing, you start to dig more into it, and mm -hmm. you realize, oh, I don't even know if I was ready to present on that until afterwards, <laughs> like now. <laughs> no, that's real. I'm bringing blanks. I'm drawing that blanks must, here. <laughs> that must be an interesting experience. <laughs> so are we calling back to last week when you say that maybe you no longer believe what you said in the past. Yeah. But here's the thing. I do believe last week me. Okay. Mm. I do believe last week me and this is confirmation. So Great. here's what I have is more intrigue around surrounding Jesus experienced as a theological liberal was the argument from last week and the conservative stance missed what God was up to because 
they couldn't handle the new information, the new data, the new uh, modality of what Spirit was doing. So they called him names. They glutton and drunkard, remember, mm-hmm. and friend of sinners. You eat with tax collectors. Um, he was a blasphemer. Uh, I believe, did we talk about, uh, what else? Did we talk about demon possessed? I, if we didn't, I don't think we did. Hold on to your horses. Oh boy. Cause in John chapter eight, they actually call him a bastard. That's the way the message puts it in soft. I know in softer translations, <laughs> they call him an illegitimate child. Hmm. They say, we're not illegitimate like you are. So all this animosity around what Jesus says, who Jesus is, what he does. And And then we see some more here. So listen to this. John chapter 8. Here are the name callings and accusations against Jesus. Then the Jews said, that clinches it. Now this is in the same conversation where they just called him a bastard. That clinches it. We were right all along when we called you a Samaritan and said you were crazy, demon possessed. Jesus said, I'm not crazy. I simply honor my father while you dishonor me. I'm not trying to get anything for myself. God intends something gloriously grand here and is making the decisions that will bring it about. I say this with absolute confidence. If you practice what I'm telling you, you'll never have to look death in the face. At this point, the Jews said, now we know you're crazy. Abraham died. The prophets died. And you show up saying, if you practice what I'm telling you, you'll never have to face death. Not even a taste. Are you greater than Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you think you are? Jesus said, if I turned the spotlight on myself, it wouldn't amount to anything. But my father, the same one you say is your father, put me here at this time and place of splendor. You haven't recognized him in this. I love that line. That's like a triple underline in my book. If, if, if I was underlining, you haven't recognized him in this, but I have. If I, in false modesty, said I didn't know what was going on, I would be as much of a liar as you are. But I do know, and I'm doing what he says. Abraham, your quote-unquote father, with jubilant faith, looked down the corridors of history and saw my day coming. He saw it and cheered. The Jews said, you're not even 50 years old, and Abraham saw you? Believe me, said Jesus, I am who I am long before Abraham was anything. That did it pushed them over the edge. They picked up rocks to throw at him, but Jesus slipped away getting out of the temple. Oh, (laughs) wow. I just, I love it. It just like flows over you and soaks into your skin. It's like, Oh, that creates so much intrigue around who Jesus is and the way he interacts with people. And then you see the, you see these, these, this conversation is like some of it's so linear it's so like literal driven, content driven. And then you see Jesus talking on a deeper layer of process and level and invitation of something. And I read from the message. Um, the message is the translation uh, brought to us by the wonderful Eugene Peterson, the wonderful Presbyterian Eugene Peterson. And so that was John eight forty eight. Remember in that conversation, here's what the critics of Jesus said. You're a bastard. You're a Samaritan. So get this. Samaritan was not only are you ethnic half-breed, but it's deeper than that. You are theologically compromised. You haven't worshipped God in the right way that has been prescribed. So you're also crazy, demon-possessed. You guys familiar with the term crazy-making? Yeah. 
right? Like you, yeah. you call something out, you expose something, you have a hard conversation about a truth that you've experienced in another person. And when it's completely denied and put back on you, like you're the one who's making all this up, mm -hmm. it's crazy making. Yeah. So all of these accusations around Jesus, and it just makes me ask, like, what is going on? And I do think this story really happened, but I don't necessarily think we need to stay stuck in, well, you know, let me, let me say it a different way. The story happened then, but here's another question. How's the story happening today? That's what I want to know. I think it's, I think it's genuine. I think we have reliable witnesses, but how is the story happening today? So I want to talk about three houses and you guys have my little sketches and some of my chicken scratch. And I want to talk about three houses. And, you know, if you're listening and if you sit and you take notes and you drink your coffee or other beverages and just kind of relax, then feel free to take notes. Feel free to draw, uh, to doodle, to sketch. Um, but if you're driving, just draw, draw a picture in your head. There's three houses. And I hope to answer the question of what in the world is going on here with the Jews that they will quite literally turn to violence against what God is up to and they will die in the house of certainty. And how, how does that impact us now? How do we see it happening now? How do we get out of the house of certainty so that we don't die in it? Okay. All right. So my attempt to answer that question, three houses. First of all, you have the house of, hung of hunger, you have the house of knowledge, and then you have the house of experience. All right. So in the house of hunger, uh, this is, this is the, the age of innocence. This is kids. This is children. This is spiritual awakening. This is what happens um, when the rabbis would bring uh, students into the synagogue, uh, all Jewish students, boys and girls would come into the synagogue age six and they would start to learn Torah. Uh, so first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. When they would show up, the rabbi would take honey and he would, uh, he would either have them uh, lick a slate that he was going to write on with honey on it, or he would drop the honey on their tongue and he would read Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And he would say some sort of blessing over them. May the word of Yahweh, the word of God, be sweeter than honey to your mouth. This is the awakening of spiritual hunger. This is, you're, you're, you're drawing with primary colors. Mm -hmm. You know, what is that? Red, blue. No, I'm yellow. not even close. Red, blue, yellow. Yeah, you got it. Thank you. It's good to have a tech guy. I have an artist with me. <laughs> Jacob's confirming. <laughs> Jacob's like, we're right. yeah, of course we're right. Sorry. In the tech world, the primary is red, green, blue mm. to make colors. Well, so, yeah. in most everyone else's world. Yeah. No, in the real world. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just kidding. It's just with light. Yes. Sorry. No, that's, that's interesting. I really didn't know that. So you're, you're coloring with primary colors. You're what I mean this, the metaphor simply means this. Your world, your experience of the world and the palette there is pretty simple. It's basic, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean it doesn't have color and wonder and edge and nuance. And so this, I, and I believe personally that all children 
born in the image of God, the Imago Dei, have a spiritual hunger to them, a bent to them. That's what Jesus puts within them. And if we don't stamp on it, if we (laughs) nurture them in the uh, love and goodness of God, then I think it, it, it continues to cultivate that hunger. So, there's the house of hunger, and that's the house of uh, innocence and development. The path, you can't stay there, though. Nobody can stay in the house of hunger. It's a beautiful house. It's a playful house. It's desire. It's craving. It's um, fantasy. Uh, it's imagination. All these wonderful, wonderful things. If you stay in the house of hunger, though, here's the trap. It's hedonism. It's quite literally the prodigal from Luke 15 before he comes to his senses. You only live on hunger and you only live to satiate your desires. You don't say no to anything. You're not tempered with any type of consequences. So there's, there's, this is, you know, if you drive your car into a tree, there's consequences. So in the post postmodern world, philosophically, people want to argue, well, I, there are actions, but the, there can also be actions without consequence, but most people don't live their lives that way. Cause it's just not true. Mm. You know, if you hit a tree, it hurts yeah. <laughs> and the car, the car crumples. So the trap for the house of hunger, which some people do fall into these hedonistic desires of, I don't have anything to check. I don't want to check anything that I have. I don't want to check any impulses. I want to stay in the house of hunger, basically like a toddler, if you will. Mm. six or seven or eight year old. Um, Now there's not necessarily anything wrong if that's the stage that the child is at. Right. But it's not good for a 30 year old to be there. Right. Well that, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How old was the prodigal when he was still? That's a good question. Uh, I I don't know. Yeah. I don't think the text uh, indicates that, but he would have to be of some sort of working age. Yeah. Right. He got a job out in the, in the far off land. Uh, old enough to reason, I don't want to be around you. I'm going to keep living for my own pleasures. The pathway out of the house of hunger is discipline. And I don't mean like, you know, do you put your kid in timeout or take away video games? (laughs) That's a real question (laughs) that people have to answer though. (laughs) If you have kids, you got to figure that out. Basically, uh, I feel like you do whatever works (laughs) within the guidelines, within the boundaries of loving the child. (laughs) Oh, it's hard. It is tough, right? Yeah. We're hitting nerves with two of us. So, um, you know, all right. It's discipline. And what I mean by that is this, the child doesn't want to go to the next house naturally. Everyone wants to stay in the house of hunger when you're in that age. The next house is the house of knowledge. And one of the things I hear from kids all the time is I don't want to go to school. You hear this, this is normal. I hate school. I don't want to learn. One of the reasons that is is because uh, the Greek word for learning actually means pain or suffering. And so it is painful to go through the process of education, but that's why systems of accountability, such as school or other constructs that we have in society are actually good things because left to their own devices, they wouldn't go. Yeah. They wouldn't do it. No one really has this gear of self-discipline where, oh, I'm going to choose to go against my natural impulse. So in order for people to move out of the house of hunger, we have to have discipline. 
And then we move into the house of knowledge. Now, here's where I want to stay for quite a bit of our time, because I think in the house of knowledge is what's going on here in these reactions against Jesus and here in our time uh, in today's age. So in the house of knowledge, uh, if, if, if hunger was kind of characterized by questions, then the house of knowledge is more characterized by answers. You start to uh, learn. You start to have information come your way, whether it's uh, academic information, religious information, uh, uh, philosophical information, life information. Um, you're coloring with primary and secondary colors. You have more colors on the palette to choose from, and your world gets a little bit larger. And the house of knowledge can be a, a wonderful thing. Here you learn about uh, what I'll call the vending machine of conventional wisdom. The vending machine of conventional wisdom goes something like this. You know, life is a problem to be solved and the world is this large vending machine and everybody's trying to give you an answer. And if you put it in formulaic terms, it would be something like this. A uh, plus B equals C equals the answer. If you have these inputs and these resources, then you will get a favorable outcome, right? And this isn't bad. This is the basic building block of life education. This is how the world works. You're trying to get something from it. And so you have this house of knowledge and you have the conventional wisdom of the vending machine of conventional wisdom. Um, and what goes on here is that you grow in knowledge, you grow in answers, you start to find answers to your questions, and you start to deepen and widen who you are. That's a good thing. Here's the challenge with the house of knowledge. I would argue this. Most people, once they start to find answers to questions, once they start to have the hunger satiated, so to speak, they're very content to stay in the house of knowing. And what often happens then, just as in if you stay in the house of hunger, the trap is hedonism uh, or prodigality. If you stay in the house of knowledge and you don't keep moving, your trap is fundamentalism of any kind. Religious fundamentalism, Christian, Muslim, uh, atheistic is still a version of religious fundamentalism. Um, you become trapped in I have all the answers I need. Not only that, but I have all of the right answers. And if the world would just do it my way or our way, then the world could be saved because quote unquote, we've been saved. This is the thing we do. And so the trap in the house of knowledge, if there's nothing moving you outside of that, knowledge becomes certainty. And the house of knowledge gets flipped upside down and becomes a house of certainty. And I, and I would just say this, the inner world of the house of certainty is hell. So this is why it's a continuation of what we talked about uh, last week because of the box that we mm -hmm. create and then any new information that presents itself that might want to transition us out of this place. We, we fight it tooth and nail. It's crazy. But they said Jesus was demon possessed. Like we, we get the, the equivalent of this, right? <laughs> like God's doing something new and we're calling it the work of the devil. Yeah. <laughs> Mind boggling. Yeah. So 
Uh, if you two want to throw something in, please do. I have one more thought and then I'll, I'll break just a little pause. <laughs> Give us a brain pause. Give myself a brain pause. Um, cause I may not agree with today me in about two days. We'll see. <laughs> you know, that verse in the Bible that haunts people. That's basically like, um, you know, the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. You heard that. Yeah. Yep. And people always ask, especially people who, you know, followed Jesus typically, I don't know. Have I done this thing? Yeah. Have I done this terrible thing that the Bible talks about? A blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Do you know the context of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I don't. Mm-hmm. People are saying that the works of Jesus are actually works of evil. <laughs> You're calling good bad. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the spirit is doing in and through the Messiah at that time, people were looking at it. And they were calling it the works of the devil. Just as here in John 8, they say, you're crazy. You're, you're Samaritan. You're theologically compromised. You're illegitimate, right? Your parents weren't even married when they got pregnant with you, man. Like, seriously. And then, uh, by the way, we I believe in the virgin birth from last week, but that's what mm-hmm. they're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, and the work you do, you're filled with a demon. I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like somewhere along the lines, they are deeply entrenched in the house of certainty. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Thoughts? Well, I, I was thinking <clears throat> that, I mean, earlier you said you die in the house of knowledge, right? House of certainty. Yeah. You can die in the house of knowledge or in the house of certainty. And something that just came to my mind is from hunger to, from the hun- house of hunger to the house of knowledge, curiosity dies, mm-hmm. right? Imagination dies. Yeah. How sad is that? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think about the little kid who's working with primary colors and probably is just really, I think of my own kid who's just really curious about everything. Hmm. I think I was really curious about everything and then something shifts and yeah, you just get trapped and with it, you die a significant death Yeah, in a lot of ways. Like the death of curiosity is a really sad thing. Like they weren't curious about Jesus at all. Seemingly. Not at all. They were just, Mind's made up. There's no room for you here. Which has so many thoughts, but the expansion of from primary colors to secondary colors should keep moving. Yeah. But you know what certainty feels like? It's black and white. Oh, yeah. It's all black and white. You've erased the imagination of the colors to a, from a world that is charged with wonder from people that are filled with incredible insight to I'm right. You're wrong. I'm good. You're bad. I'm in. You're out. We have the secret. You don't. Here's the thing. Everybody's doing this, Mm -hmm. you know, coming from a evangelical background, I can critique our background first and foremost, but everybody is up to this game right now. And it's a thousand deaths in the house of certainty, black and white. I've got it figured out. Don't need any new information. Yeah. I, I think maybe a little bit of is maybe right. The culture that uh, we're a part of that I've grown up in. Um, but in these first two houses that you've mentioned, I can also see, you know, the tie into last week of fear playing a huge role actually in each of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to go to school. So it's maybe, you know, we say that, 
I just don't want to be wrong right in the learning process. Like I don't want to be called out. Maybe there's some shame in there. Maybe there's, there's fear of something there. And then once it's knowledge, well, I have the knowledge. Now I have fear of being challenged or Mm -hmm. once again, maybe not being right. Yeah. But I'm so certain that I am. So I don't know. I think fear actually plays a pretty significant thread in our Mm -hmm. life, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I don't know how mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. or where that is obviously for each of us. Cause we're going to experience it differently. Um, but it, it feels like a really significant part at the very least of our Western American culture of kind of led with fear. Yeah. So that's a question. Where is fear lurking in your house? What house are you in? We're probably to a certain degree in all of them, but what house are you primarily in? Where is fear? What conversation are you having with fear? Because here's the other really, really scary thing is that when knowledge becomes certainty, there's a lot of things that you have to sacrifice in order to stay in that house. And that's actually, you have to sacrifice listening to the third house because the third house is experience. And here's what happens. This happens all the time um, in religious circles. You have a construct of who you think God is and how you think the world works. And then you're going to have an experience that's going to confirm or contradict or challenge or invite or press upon that construct. And then you have basically two choices. You can double down and you can say, well, you should never let experience interpret your religious framework. And so my religious framework is right and it has to dictate my experience. So that experience was wrong. You see that you see how subtle and quickly we maneuver that. Or you can say, well, there's maybe there's nothing wrong with the source of my religious framework, but maybe my religious framework isn't as big as it could be. Mm. And I didn't have room for that experience, but maybe I need to listen to that experience and say, how could that expand my construct and my framework into an accepting of what's really going on? Did I frame that Mm -hmm. in an understandable way? Cause it all made sense in my head as it was coming out. I think so. I, I, there's so many questions that I have like, And it's not going to be the same for everybody, but when is the religious framework, when is any framework established? Like what, what traps you? Because you go from house of hunger to the house of knowledge at some point, whether you want to go to school or you don't want to go to school or you want to go to church or not, things are, you're impressionable, right? So things are taught to you. You're in a place where you're learning. So what, traps you that's a good question i don't think it's i don't know that it's fear initially something stops this is my own experience something stops me i develop a certainty over things and then fear becomes a significant thing yeah but i at least allowed allowed some knowledge in and then i got trapped yeah i don't know i part of me wonders and not to not to challenge your notion, but part of me wonders was fear there and we just weren't aware of it. Yeah, it could be. Or, I grasped onto some things very tightly because of fear of something else. Well, and in the house of knowledge, I would say this is primary ego formation. So what happens is that you're forming up your ego into who you are and your identity. 
And anything that presses on that, you're going to fight tooth and nail to say, no, you can't take this from me. So I think that now fear is in full force of saying, whatever's going on outside of me, it's going to change me. And I'm going to resist everything coming my way to that change. So I got to protect my fragile yeah. ego. But I would say this, let's put it in different terms. There's experiential knowledge and theoretical knowledge. And oftentimes what we simply have in religious circles is a, is a lot of indoctrination or theoretical knowledge. Hmm. Like you just fill your head with all of these facts and then don't worry about anything you might be experiencing <laughs> as a human, your emotions, um, your pain, your suffering, when life doesn't work as you, th as your theoretical knowledge told you it was supposed to, hmm. you know, God works this way. This is conventional wisdom. A plus B equals C. Now what happens when A plus B doesn't equal C? It's devastating. It's devastating. Sometimes. It's devastating. It can blow the whole house down mm -hmm. unless you hold it loosely. When you're certain about A plus B equals C, God doesn't let that type of thing happen to this person. Mm-hmm. Why did God do this to me? I'm a good person. I, I've, I've played by the rules and now it just doesn't seem like it's fair. I understand all those places. Mm -hmm. I get it. But that's, that's the death of certain. That's the death in the house of certainty as opposed to an actual like movement out of the house of certainty. Is Jacob. that a little bit of last week, right? If one brick is removed from the wall. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, does it all crumble? That's that, and and I think that's true. The, the when we need certainty, we have all of our sequential things in place. Like, no, this fits here, and that fits there, and this fits there, and God's like this, and she's like that, and I'm like this, and this all fits in place. And if anyone says challenges anything, it all falls apart. That's that's exactly what I'm talking about. And and to your point, like as you're describing that, I can see that from a religion standpoint, but I also see that from a political standpoint, mm -hmm. you know, that it we're taught or so it feels that we're taught that, you know, the kind of the same way as far as like politically, like you just hear and listen to who, you know, you align with or whatever. And so you have the same experience from a political standpoint removed from religion. Yeah. As what you're, you know, yeah. Describing here. And I would say it's, it's probably a human. It's, it's, it's bigger than any sphere of existence, religious, political. It's just a human experience. Like this happens in development. How do we keep moving forward? And it feels like right now it's very easy to get stuck in the house of knowledge of knowing and constructs. And then you, you fall into certainty it's black and white. So one of the things that you have to do when you're certain is you have to deny your experiences. You have to say that experience doesn't fit my certainty. Therefore that experience is wrong. That experience, it's not, it didn't happen. I don't <laughs> feel that. I mean, it's crazy. You deny these things, but think of what had to happen in order to have these conversations with Jesus. You had to deny that this person is doing these works, that this person is teaching these teachings. Um, and you have to say, this isn't, that's not true. It's not happening. That's, and, and I, I believe this, the universe is always going to keep knocking on your door with experience. That's, that's your ear to the ground. I've got to listen to that because maybe it's inviting me to deeper and wider places. Mm. Do you, 
would you say that this is less linear and more of a cycle? Because as, as you're unpacking this, I feel like, oh, maybe I'm seeing Paul, mm-hmm. you know, go through. Yeah, the Apostle Paul yeah. wrote large portions of the Bible. Yeah. New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Context, I guess. No, no, no. It's fine. No, no, you're good. Uh, but, at a, you know, but when he does encounter God and yep. he encounters Jesus, he, his hung, he has a new hunger, right? Yeah as opposed to what he grew up and was taught. And so, so like there's this maybe cycle. You could probably argue that there are, is a downward spiral of concentric, like uh, a downward spiral cycle um, that, yeah, in some ways they're always all related working in us. Mm-hmm. It's not so sequential, but let, let me, let me say this before I get to sure. how do you get out of the house of knowledge and not die? not flip it into certainty. Mm -hmm. Um, when, when, when people are in, here's how, you know, Oh, that person is in the house of knowledge, but they're locked. They're in a deadlock with certainty. Here's how, you know, because you had to listen to their tone. Anything said, and there's a quote, anything said with too much bravado over assurance or with any need to control or impress another is never the voice of God within you. And you can hear that. I can hear that. I hear it in myself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I was so sure about that sentence or about that stance. And it felt like pure ego. So much bravado. I am so confident that that person is a blank. Fill in the blank. It's too much overassurance. Any need to control, any impression. That's never the voice of God within us. That's Richard Rohr from his book, uh, Universal Christ. Hmm. Why, why do people get locked in certainty? So people have certainty. People have this, this need for certainty. I've got to stay stuck in it. By the way, certainty is not the antithesis to faith. Sorry. Man, we're going to have to edit that crap out. (laughs) That was garbage. (laughs) Doubt is not the antithesis to faith. Certainty is the antithesis to faith. Doubt and faith go hand in hand. One can't exist without the other. Certainty will kill faith. Right? So certainty, you have to be careful with it. But why can't people, why do people have to have certainty? And here's what I think, here's what I think is driving their need for certainty. They can't hold the contradictions. That's a contradiction. They're a contradiction. This world is a contradiction, right? You start to A plus B doesn't equal C. You can't hold that contradiction. And so what it causes you to do is to drive deeper and deeper into being certain and rigid about your beliefs. Here's the trick. Here's the deepest contradiction that people with certainty can't hold. The contradiction about themselves. Yeah. That's what I was thinking when you're saying that. I'm a contradiction. I'm nice. I'm mean. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm bad. I'm kind. I'm vicious. I'm generous. I'm greedy. And people stuck in certainty can't hold that. Mm-hmm. And so what they have to do is say, well, that can't be true about me. So I'm going to stay locked in this place of I'm certain about me, therefore I'm certain about the world. So I never really have to go 
to the place of contradiction because my experience is going to invite me to those places. Mm-hmm. You're going to say, whoa, <laughs> whoa, what are you up to? Right. It's going to reveal something about yourself that's going to be really hard to own or see. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. And it, it is fear, I think. There's fear everywhere, but I do think it is scary. I think that's, I think that's why we get stuck in certainty, though. We can't hold primarily that we ourselves are contradictions. Yeah, and we're up to some pretty awful things at times. Yeah. If we're really willing to, like, I don't know, trace actions back to, I don't know, their core or our motivation or whatever, we're up to some pretty shady or awful stuff at times. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think the gospel invites us to a two-sided coin or a double-edged sword, if you will, that'll pierce our heart. And on the one side, it says this, can you love yourself or imagine that you're loved more wildly than you've ever been loved? Can you get that? That grace says you don't have to start the journey. You've already arrived. And that because you've arrived now, you want to start a journey. Um, Can you live in that place? And can you simultaneously live in the place of, I am up to... 99% 99% of the time, I'm up to something mm-hmm. sneaky, suspicious yeah. in all of these places, right? Yeah. Can both of those be true? And that's what I think the gospel invites us to. So how do you get out of the house of knowledge? How do you not die in the house of certainty? I think there's only one path. I think it's humiliation. Well, that's scary. Well, I don't want that. (laughs) Humiliation, humiliation. (laughs) So there was a book, uh, there was a book, uh, Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute. They basically talk a lot about what we're saying here today, but everyone is in a form of self-deception. You're in the box of self-deception. And the only way that you get out of the box of self-deception is basically you, they said you question your own integrity. So as we would say, you have to call bullshit on yourselves. Mm-hmm. Like you have to say, no, 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 I'm probably like, I want to appear this and I want you to think that, but I'm probably doing it for nine tenths of a wrong reason. Yeah. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Cause it's terrible. Cause it's so true. <laughs> And there's, I don't know, it's all, it's so hard to avoid that. Like, I feel like even our auto response is ego-based and coming from a place of, well, I'm no good. I'm up to no good. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, yeah, it's hard. But not in a shame, I'm a terrible human being, I'm garbage, I'm not worth anything type of way. Because that actually never helps yeah. us grow. In a, I'm deeply loved more profoundly than I can imagine, and yet... I am deeply compromised <laughs> in and of myself. So what I have to do is call BS on myself and my own integrity. So just for example, I, uh, I showed up to the gym this morning to work out and it was an awful, do you ever think about your outfit when you're working out? I think about my outfit every time I'm wearing an outfit. <laughs> every time, always. Every outfit. No. Every time. Every day. Yep. That's a good slogan. <laughs> you should market that. <laughs> Somebody will probably pick up on it. No, zero. You, you don't. Never. Okay. So I show up with um, an Under Armour 
undershirt, mm-hmm. right? A tight one. I show up with, it was green, forest green. Mm-hmm. I show up with really bright turquoise basketball shorts, wool socks, and red shoes. That's terrible. <laughs> it's, I don't see what's wrong. Yeah, that, that's, that's what separates us. <laughs> I looked in the mirror and I was like, wow. And then I thought to myself, you know, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. And I started to feel proud about how much I didn't care about this outfit. Mm-hmm. And I took a selfie and I sent it to my wife and I was like, I guess this is what 40 looks like. Cause I have a birthday this weekend. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I was, I was like, I don't care anymore now, now, now catch this. So I'm starting to feel really genuinely authentic. Like I've stopped caring what people think mm-hmm. about me. Right. Uh-oh. Like, yeah. Like, Oh, I've actually arrived at a place where I don't care what other oh, people yeah? think about. You me. felt good. Yeah. I was feeling fantastic. And in the back of my head, I'm actually thinking at the same time I'm thinking that, well, I'll probably go cycle in the room where the spinning class is because no one's in there. That way I won't have to walk across the whole gym to cycle where everyone is. Cause then they'll see me. <laughs> Here's the thing. I almost didn't even detect that thought. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped and I was like, oh, I'm a phony. I actually really do care about what people think. And I was so convinced that I was so moral. You know, that was my mm-hmm. standard of morality. I genuinely don't care. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, no, I'm calling BS on myself right here. Like, I care. If I didn't care, I wouldn't be thinking about going into the private room to, you know, cycle as mm-hmm. opposed to going out in public. And I was like, that's a podcast story. That stays <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs> so you move out of the house of certainty and knowledge by humiliation. You have to let experience teach you how to hold yourself as a contradiction. It's okay. It's okay that you're a contradiction. It's okay that I'm a contradiction. That's actually foundationally true about us being born east of Eden. It's okay. The gospel doesn't resolve the contradiction. It expands you to embrace the contradiction. It's not about how do I fix the contradiction? It's more about how does grace allow me to hold the contradiction that I am simultaneously saint and sinner all wrapped into one. I'm a glorious ruin and that's, that's me. So you move into the house of experience. This is hard work. It really is. And it's like, I think like you said, it, it is a cycle. I never just like it, like this morning, it's a cycle. I was almost locked in the house of knowledge and certainty and then had to be humiliated to wait. No, no, no. I failed my own moral standard, but in the house of experience, you're coloring with a full palette. Uh, this is Colossians one twenty eight where Paul says, Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone as mature in Christ. It also, that word mature can be whole W H O L E the whole person. There is a, um, place of being transformed in humanity, uh, that's called maturity or it's called wholeness. And I would think like with a lot of work and a lot of movement, we don't stay there but we keep moving there throughout the day. I don't think it's a static house where, oh, now I'm here, I've arrived, the table's set, and let me teach everybody. No, 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 I think we're always going back and forth between the three, 
and probably always going back and forth out of three. <laughs> and three keeps inviting us in to be humiliated into it. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So think about it. It's a movement from hunger to fulfillment and then from fulfillment to emptiness. Hmm. This is, I think, the other reason we don't move out of the house of knowledge and we die in the house of, it becomes the house of certainty. The other reason we don't move out of that is because we fear losing. We fear the loss. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, we say, no thanks. I don't like embracing emptiness. So we move from hunger to fullness to emptiness. And if we can move out of that fear to embrace the poverty of spirit, I believe we start to work with humiliation and to go into those places. But the only way you do that, put in other terms, is you have to embrace grief. You have to embrace the loss because you start to lose things to go into the house of experience, the house of wisdom. So reflections, thoughts, this is really good. <laughs> too too many thoughts. Sorry. This is genuinely, I think, the Pharisees, uh, the conservative religious political stance, died in the house of certainty, or they were living. They were they were as like a living death in the house of certainty. And therefore they had to do everything they could to deny the experience of Jesus to double down. They couldn't hold the contradiction of themselves that he was inviting them to. And sometimes very strongly invited them to, they had to deny all those things. And so because of that, they missed what, as, as Galatians says, the spirit had ordained this time for the son to be born. And we have a time right now where the spirit is ordaining movements and uh, mission and grace and hope. It's all saturating every fiber of our existence. And yet if we stay stuck, we get stuck in the house of knowledge, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. Mm -hmm. Silence. I so. just, I'm an internal processor usually. So it's, uh, yeah. I have even going back to when they're saying all that stuff about him, I just think, what if one of them had just been like, hold on. Like, I'm curious. Yeah. You know, rather it's it, the conversation that yeah. could have been had. I think you get that. I, and I, I, I got to call, you know, BS on myself here too. I, I don't want to generalize everyone mm. in the new Testament. I yeah. think there are pockets of conversations where they say, well, wait a second. Yeah. Like if he's telling the truth, shouldn't we like at least listen to him? Shouldn't we mm -hmm. let it run its course and then we'll see if it's from God or not. There are those, there are those yeah. pockets. I also think he's unfazed by it. Seemingly like he's like you <laughs> said, it's crazy making. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be, to have been made crazy. Right. Like his ego's not really bothered by it. This is mind blowing to me that God has no ego. Yeah. It's mind blowing. Yeah. And if he did, it would be a tyrannical universe. Yeah. It'd be a terrible existence. Yeah. Because he doesn't need strokes. Right. And he doesn't need you 
to be anything for him to be complete. That's the gods of the Canaanites, the backdrop of the Old Testament. They demanded sacrifices. You have to feed the gods. God's always doing something new. He's always doing something countercultural. And so God doesn't need anything from us. This is a relationship of grace. It's so different. He walks across the gym in his hunter green shirt and his turquoise shorts and his wool socks. And yeah, I don't know. What does he feel? Yeah. Just perfectly at peace with who he is. Well, (laughs) look at this. John eight fifty four. If I turn the spotlight on myself, it wouldn't amount to, to anything. Mm-hmm. He's not that worried about it because he's looking outwards at delighting in what's going on around him. Yeah. He's connected with his inner world, but it's less about what do people think about me and what is my experience. And it's more about people need to be served. Mm-hmm. People need to be connected with people need to have eye contact. If I turn the spotlight on me, that doesn't amount to anything. I don't need anything from this. I'm not going to get anything. It's like, oh, that's incredible. It is. That's incredible. Okay, friends, that's probably enough for today. Thank you so much for listening. The Subversive, uh, follow us, subscribe, and we will tell you more information coming up about um, the release of the magazine. Jacob, any closing thoughts for like how f- people to find us? <laughs> Uh, You can also email us the subversive podcast at Gmail. We want to hear from you. Yeah, we do want to hear from you. Or, yeah, message on Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. Until next time, grace and peace. Thanks for listening to The Subversive. Be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. 